Welcome to another episode of The Secret Origins of Mint Condition and another installment of Joe's Comics Corner. I'm your host, Joe, and this time around, we are headed to a very special corner, the corner that leads to the end of an era, and the street sign reads, Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. With me today is the progenitor of this podcast, my co-host and good friend, James. So James, I've got to ask you right off the bat, uh, what you picked this story. What, what uh, was the impetus for you picking this story? Uh, well, it's good to be here on Joe's Comics yes. Corner. So thank you for having me. Yes, <laughs> thank I should have said, said it's good to have you. <laughs> well, no, no, thank, thank you for indulging me to pick it, uh, pick this book. I, you know what? I was actually listening to another another podcast, and they were talking about, the hosts were talking about the subject of their favorite alternate timelines in, ah. in, in comic books. And one of the hosts brought up the whatever happened to the man in the tomorrow timeline. And I, I thought of it because I, and so that kind of sparked in my mind. And then I, I like being when I'm on the comics corner or when we're in the podcast in general with people, I mean, you're one of our regular hosts, so I get to be with you a lot, but when we mm-hmm. have other guests on who know a lot about a, a certain topic, and then we also, um, you know, get to dive into that topic. Um, it's where I get my answer, my questions answered. So oh, okay. well, wherever, whatever happened to the man tomorrow, I've only read it once. I mean, now I've read it twice in preparation for this podcast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've grown since the time I worked at mint to through the podcast, I've grown a, a tremendous amount of respect and actually affection for the character of Superman oh, and, hear. and hearing you and Richie talk about, you know, the silver age and, and other and other episodes bringing up the golden age and of comics and Superman in those times. It really it got me interested. Like, let me I should re- revisit this book. And 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 then you know of course Alan Moore wrote it when Alan Moore was the height of all his powers and and sanity perhaps also. But um, <laughs> but like you know it's Alan Moore at, at you know writing Superman and uh, and I felt I figured like and there's a lot of questions after reading it that I, I have for you. So maybe okay, maybe you can, I can answer them. You know, because it's what wrapping up what forty eight years of history. This, these yes, it books? is. It's exactly what it's doing. Yes, which is tr- which is tremendous. Which is why I have a lot of a lot of questions. I mean, I mean, let me ask. Let me ask you. When you when you read these books, did you feel like it satisfactorily wrapped up that era of Superman for you? Yes, I did. And what's interesting about it, both these books came out in June of nineteen eighty six, and then the following month was Man of Steel number one by John Byrne. Because DC was committed to bringing this hero Superman to an end, comic wasn't selling, character wasn't selling, and they gave they went to different people uh, to try uh, to see who was going to do the relaunch, and they settled on John Byrne. I'm so glad they did. And uh, Julie Schwartz had said um, that he wanted to wrap this up, he put a bow on it, put a coder on it, and the first person he he turned to was the man who wrote the very first Superman story, Jerry Siegel. And he posed this to him at a convention, but Jerry Siegel was unable to write the story for some type of legal reasons. I, I, he didn't get it, go into it. But then the next day he's having lunch with Alan Moore and he, he says, well, you know, we're thinking of, of wrapping this up like it was like it's really happening, even though it's a quote unquote elsewhere story. We need to wrap up this continuity. And Alan Moore reached across the table and grabbed him by the neck and said, I will kill you if you don't let me write this story. <laughs> Which sounds very Alan Moore-like, right? Yes, it does. It does. <laughs> sounds like something Alan Moore would say and do. <laughs> right. And Julie, who was protecting his mortality, agreed. And um, we get this two-parter in uh, Superman 423 Part 1 and Action Comics 583 Part 2. And um, I was very aware that these stories were coming. This is obviously before the internet, but we did have fan magazines and we did have letter columns and we did have conventions. So people knew about this stuff. And I knew that The Man of Steel was coming. Um, as per John, uh, I almost said John Wayne, as per John Byrne. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big slip. 
so yeah, I was excited for these stories, but I was excited for what was coming down the pike. But I, I knew I wanted to read these stories because th- at this point, I had been reading Superman for 20 years, since 1966. And I had just finished reading Alan Moore's, or I believe, I believe it was over at this point, maybe not, but his Watchmen, right? Mm-hmm. The crisis was over. So we all knew that something new and new was coming down the pike, so to speak. So I was very, very psyched to read these two stories. And uh, after having read them again yesterday in preparation for this podcast and having read them, I guess now from the, a dozen times over the years, it still holds up. It's still an incredible read. I, I'm amazed at the, the, the talent that Alan Moore had or hopefully still has and what he brought to this, to this book and to this character that I love so much. So, yeah, that's a long answer to, to that question, James, but yes. Well, no, it's like, I, that's part of like the, what I enjoy about the comics corner. And, and when we get to talk about these things, like sort of isolated a particular issue or issues is, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm reading it now and, you know, with lots of history behind me and, and uh, lots of history behind the character. And, and I obviously wasn't there when it was released. So it's nice to like hear like what a fan like yourself in real time was experiencing when this, oh. this came out. Great experience. It was there was a lot of anticipation to to the ending of the Superman saga as we knew it, and to what was coming, literally a month later. You know, they did, they didn't waste any time. Boom! This was these two issues came out, and <laughs> and in July of that year, Man of Steel number one hits, hits the stands and blows everybody away. But not as much as this blew everybody away, or this blew me away because uh, now I need to ask you a question. Sure. Um, I know you're a big fan of Alan Moore because of his run on Swamp Thing, which most comic historians, and I would agree with them, agree that that's one of the greatest runs, if not the greatest run of any comic book ever. So, um, and when we think of Alan Moore, we think of him as a, as a writer, a more nuanced writer, a more uh, prolific, pro, proficient writer than most comic book writers. Not to put down other writers, but, but when you were reading this story, when I was, first I'll say, when I was reading this story, I was so enthralled by it, by how he he wrote was basically a Silver Age, Bronze Age story. And at no point did I think this was a typical Alan Moore, and there's nothing, I don't think there's such a thing as a typical Alan Moore story, but while it didn't feel like an Alan Moore story, it still, at the end, obviously, it becomes that. It, it just felt like a well-written story and a story that mined all the great things about Superman and the Superman mythos of the Silver and Bronze Age. Did you have that feeling too? Yeah, well, I actually, like, this is, I mean, I don't know how much Silver, Superman from the Silver Bronze Age I've even, I've even read, to be perfectly honest. Okay. So, so I don't, I like it, aside from, like, what we talk about on the show when I listen to you and Richie or any of our other guests talk about it, but... It read actually. It it read when I when I picked it back up. I'm like, okay, you know, I expect it to be like really wordy and sometimes bo- yeah. yeah, I wouldn't say bogged down, but you know, it gets sometimes Alan Moore stuff gets a little as you know for Watchmen, it gets very wordy again. Yeah, you're articulating this much better than I just did. Go ahead, continue. <laughs> but um, but if it, it 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 flowed, it actually flowed more like a modern right. comic. But it mm-hmm. it didn't, you know, it it just the the word count was lower. But I, I not that word count's a bad thing, but. It, yeah, it flowed. It flowed very quickly, very smoothly. The action was was well paced. Um, it didn't feel like your. I mean, Alan Moore writes so many things, but at, at, like I said, at the mm-hmm. time, it didn't feel like his Watchmen or a Swamp Thing that I was reading. Not at all, no. Um, and yeah, I was I was actually surprised at the pace in which it went. I mean, it got it got a little bit more 
Alan Moorish, I guess, because of the level of death and death at the end of these books. Yeah, at the end, when the stakes get raised to the point, when once we start seeing beloved Superman family members dying, yes, yes. Which that surprised me. I was like, whoa. Oh, did it surprise you? Okay. It surprised me too. Okay. I was like, because um, again, I was in, in for like a classic, um, not that there weren't stakes in the uh, Silver and Golden Age comics, but the uh, stakes like this seemed like, really? Like, wow, these are stakes. <laughs> like, like, yeah, white, well, no, but white... back in this, go ahead, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it's like, you're, you're killing, you're killing people. It's like, it's, yeah, it's you pretty, killed Jimmy pretty and Lana. Yeah. And, and yeah, it doesn't get, doesn't get bigger than that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, back in the Silver Age, um, especially at DC, if something horrific happened in a comic book, it was either uh, an imaginary story where, you know, Superman dies, which they did a couple of times in the Silver Age, or it's an incontinuity, so to speak, story. And then at the end, there's a, um, uh, deus, a deus ex machina type of, uh, uh, you know, uh, something employed to, uh, to just fix things at the end, you know, magic or super science or super hypnotism, if we're talking about Superman, because <laughs> Lois finds out a secret identity and then boom, he just wipes it out of her mind. So uh, this this raised the stakes from the very beginning because we see two two Superman arch enemies, Toy Man and and um, the Prankster, uh, sending a you know sending a box to the Daily Planet and, and after they 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 blow literally blow Superman's secret identity out into the open we see what's in that box it's the dead Pete Ross. Holy cow, right? <laughs> yeah, holy, yeah. I was like, holy cow. Well, even before that, though, Bizarro commits suicide. Bizarro commits suicide, right? Yeah, that that was really well written, and it's like you're trying to figure out, you know, what the hell he's saying because it's always difficult with Bizarro. Everything is the opposite, but uh, yeah, he's knocking over buildings and he's just going, you know, apeshit all over Metropolis. And I mean, it's implied yeah. from what I mean, it's implied from what Bizarro said that he he killed a lot of people too. Before oh yeah. He, yeah, 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 yeah. Again, back in the day, if somebody knocked over a building, even in a Marvel comic, by the way, the Silver Age, that building was deserted, or it was three thirty in the morning and there was nobody but the Watchmen in there, and Superman would zip in and get him out, and you know, and then continue the battle with the supervillain. So yeah, these were there were people in these buildings being knocked over. There were there were people, innocent people, dying in the story. Yes. And then you have. Um... Which actually reminds me of um, what what Chris said in one of our one of our episodes when we did the heroics moments episode. He talked about one of his favorite moments was when Flash takes down the uh, like the Luther Brainiac um, hybrid in Justice League Unlimited, and, and I guess this is the progenitor of that because mm-hmm. you got the Luther Brainiac hybrid. I was like, wow, this is where this comes from. I guess, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, uh, and then of course, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but you know, when when Luther's when Luther is killed by Lana Lang, uh, you know, uh, that's the beginning of the downfall of, of Brainiac because eventually the, you know, the body's going to, as he said, rigor mortis is setting in and he can't move the body anymore. But, that part was very Alan Moore. That was a very yes, Alan Moore part. It was very Alan Moore. And what I, what struck me about, I had forgotten that scene that Lana is the one that kills Luther and Luther's begging her. He has a moment of, of lucidity where his, his consciousness comes to the fore and he begs Lana to kill him. Because he's part of this, you know, this this hybrid with uh, with Brainiac, who's going to destroy everything. And if you're if you're a Silver Age Superman fan like I am, you realize that Lex Luthor grew up in Smallville, which we know from Smallville TV show, but he did. And Lex Luthor, as a teenager, often had many interactions with Lana Lang and obviously Clark and Superboy. So it, it you know it was a very touching moment I thought when she when she kills him. I mean they were going out there, her and Jimmy, to save Superman. And to take these guys down, but 
it was almost like a mercy killing that Lana applied to Lex. And um, I, I tell you, of all the characters in this story, other than Superman, that you that you, that that I feel for that makes your heartstrings really tug, it was Lana Lang in this yeah. story. I, I thought Alan Moore. This was a great tribute to Lana Lang, a character I love so much. So yeah, it's just so many cool things in the story. Yeah, I mean, I know we're kind of jumping all over the place, but you had yeah. um, what the scene in the fortress where Lana and Lois are like hugging each other because they, they, I guess they were both at, at odds with each other because they were in love with Superman at the same time. Is that what that was about? Yes, it was. And the scene between Superman and Perry, we know that the Perry has been having troubles with Alice before this. They're, they're separated. And Superman says, you know, I, I've, I've strung these women along all my life. I'm a coward. I can't do what I should do, which is proposed to Lois and you know my love to Lois but I can't do that because I can't hurt Lana and uh, you know that's that's a real Alan Moore moment that's the type of moment you would not have gotten from the Superman writers of the Silver Age or, or maybe even the, the Bronze Age you might have gotten something close to that in the Bronze Age from a Len Wein or a Jerry Conway or Elliot Magan or, or people like that uh, Martin Pasco did a great run in, this, in the Bronze Age that uh between uh, the, the triangle between uh, Lois Clark and Superman, but otherwise that's that's a, a very rare scene from the, from that period. And here Alan Moore really takes you into the into the heart of Superman and how he's torn between these two women that he loves both dearly. Very very touching scene. No, it was very. It was like a. I guess it was. That's again. It goes. It goes in out of like that classic. Um comic book style but then goes into the alan moore i guess of it. yes yeah he, he gives you all the the um the things you're expecting you know uh he, the fan service as we've often said but then he subverts some of that by well first of all by killing <laughs> these beloved characters but then really really giving you this soul-wrenching moment of which we had a, a few of them throughout these these two uh these two issues these two books and then I like, I guess, the callback to the classic stuff that we've spoken about on this show is um, the Legion show up. Yep. Yes, they do. And they give him that um, that statuette, which is, which turns out to be very, very, uh, you know, uh, uh, portentous and what of, uh, of uh, the, the, what's going to happen later on. Exactly. Yes. And so, they bring yeah. back Supergirl, which again, so I guess, how did she die in the current, like the time? That, oh, well, this is right after the crisis on Infinite Earth. So this oh, takes place okay. in that continuity. Supergirl dies in issue, I wish Keith was here, uh, seven or eight. You know, one issue, Supergirl dies, and then the other, and there's another issue where Barry dies. I don't know which one comes first. I forgot. But yeah, so so she's in the future as her past self, or let's say her 16-year-old self. And she's even asking Superman... Uh, you know, I know you can't tell me, but I wish you could tell me what kind of woman I am in this in this in this time period. And he and he has that a cyber brainiac. What are you crazy bringing her here? You know that that type of thing. And um, uh, it, it's again that's an Alan Moore type of you know beat story beat that you would not have gotten in another story uh, ten years or twenty years prior. That the writers again they were good writers, but they they, they weren't thinking on this level. And um, it's, it's so touching because he knows that, you know, she goes back to the future with the, uh, with the Legion, but she's, she's destined to, to die, you know, fighting, uh, fighting the, um, the anti-monitor. Okay. So, so that, okay. So I, I know, I knew Supergirl died in the crisis. I didn't realize this, this takes place post-crisis. Post-crisis. And it's 10 years in the future. It's 1996. I always love the way Kurt Swan uh, envisions the future. 
especially the clothing. People wear too much clothing in Kurt Swan's futures, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, there seems to be some type of computer um, uh, station in Lois's uh, house, and the baby is sleeping in what looks like a climate controlled crib. So you know, there's, there's, they always they always um, allude to a future that's never seems to come to pass. <laughs> right, <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting. I mentioned Kurt Swan. What what did you think of the artwork? Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, it's beautiful it, stuff. And, um, and Julie Schwartz said he had people in mind to, to pencil the story. Obviously, Kurt Swan, who had been penciling Superman since the late 40s, almost continuously to this point. And um, he wanted to, George Perez had always wanted to ink a Kurt Swan story. He never did. So he gave him the first chapter. Then he brought in Kurt Schaffenberger, who had done many, many pencils stories, pencil, pencil stories of uh, Superman and Jimmy and Lois and Superboy, and but he had never inked, also had never inked, well, I think he had inked him once or twice, but he, he wanted to bring him in because he was he was a, a fixture of the legend, you know, of, of the uh, canon of Superman stories. And then, of course, the covers had to be by the, the great Swan, as they put it, Swan Anderson team, Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson. You had to give Murphy Anderson his due at the end of this run. So it was a nice bow that he tied everything up into. It's art-wise. And the George Perez inking on Kurt Swan is just, it makes you makes your mouth water. And, oh, why couldn't we have more of this? <laughs> it's yeah, no, it's, it's beautiful. Every page is beautiful, nicely laid out. I mean, it's a very clean style, but very yep. dynamic. Very, very Silver Age and very Bronze Age, yes. Very Superman for the period. Very Superman, yeah. 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 And also, like, there's a certain modern type of artistic style in there, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is. So you said you had questions. Any more questions that you had? For um, yeah, Crypt- Kryptonite Man. I've never okay. heard of this villain. <laughs> All right, I have a few comics I pulled from my collection. Kryptonite Man debuted as Kryptonite Boy uh, in Superboy '83. I think it's from 1960. I have the copy in my hand here, and we see him on the cover with a green Kryptonite dog. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, Superboy and Crypto are having a dream, a nightmare, and Pa Ken is saying. Superboy and Crypto are going through another one of those their nightmares. How can they both be having the same dream? And they're dreaming about the Kryptonite boy becomes the Kryptonite man in this story. Um, so yeah, he 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 was firmly established in in Silver Age continuity, and um, there are other things that happen, other little uh, Easter eggs that I noticed that Alan Moore pulled from those from from that era. So yeah, that it's. Uh, Alan Moore read these books as a child in, you know, in Great Britain when he was growing up and he loved these Superman books and he loved this era and it shows in these, in these stories. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I was like, I'd never heard of this character, but it must be a yeah. deep, deep bench pull from, from Alan Moore. Oh, it was. Yeah. He didn't have that many appearances. He appears again in Superboy 99. I don't know if he ever appears in a Superman story other than this one. I have to do, you know, I should have, I should have done more research, but yeah, Kryptonite boy slash man was not something that Alamo pulled out of his ass. It's um, it's a firmly established character in, in the, um, the original mythos. Okay. And then we have like a bunch of Metallos? Yeah, that was new for this one. The, okay. Metallo, the Metallo clones, right? Which was okay. really scary as they're climbing up the side of the Daily Planet building. And, and then Superman takes care of him in such a Silver Age Superman way, he turns the globe into a giant magnet. <laughs> And it just you know sucks up all the uh, all the uh, the metallos, but Lois. I think it's Lois is amusing that he didn't he didn't make it too magnetized so it wouldn't suck up the cars and from the street. 
but apparently all the metal objects in the Daily Planet building get sucked into it. And, yes, and so, yes. <laughs> right? So it's the end of the yes. Daily Planet as we know it. And that's when he takes her right to the fortress after that. But yeah. And the Lana Lang super, super serum that she drinks from the, the enchanted lake that she mentioned that lowers in her. Yes, I was going to ask you about what happened to Jimmy and Lana. Supergirl, girl, Superman's girlfriend, uh, number 21, also the early 60s, because uh, it's, it's 10 cents. Uh, the battle between Super Lois and Super Lana. And Lana is battling Lois on that cover. And Superman is going, Lois, Lana, stop fighting. But Lois and Lana have gained superpowers permanently. And they're saying, well, now that we have superpowers, you can marry one of us. And Lana is wearing the exact same costume that she's wearing in this story. And that story was also penciled on the cover, at least, by Kurt Swan. So, yeah. Yeah, right. And what about Jimmy? Jimmy's powers. Well, Jimmy was elastic lad. Uh, I forget exactly when he became Elastic Lad. It was in his own book, Superman's Pal, Jimmy Olsen. Uh, but that that got, uh, that um, got him a spot on the Legion of Superheroes as a substitute Legionnaire. Lana was also a substitute Legionnaire when she became Insect Queen in the 60s. She had the viral ring that turned her into any type of insect. And as a kid, I hated those stories because I despise insects. I can't even look at them. So I, if there was ever a, a Superboy story where Lana was Insect Queen, I just I just flipped over that side. I wouldn't even read that story. <laughs> you know. And um, Pete Ross, who shows up in this story as a dead body, first was introduced in Superboy number 86, also from the early 60s. And um, that's his first appearance in that book. And he, so, and, yeah, and he made it into Smallville. <laughs> and he made it into Smallville, yes. Well, Pete, and you know, you know the story of Pete, right? How he learned Superboy's secret identity. No, I don't think I know how we learned. Yes, well, they were, according to Silver Age, they were on a camping trip. Uh, they were both sleeping in the same tent. Um, Superboy was alerted to some type of nearby disaster, and he goes outside to change. Clark does, and there's a bolt of lightning flashing. Pete is awakened by the storm, and he sees the bolt of lightning illuminating Clark, turning into Superboy. Wow. But Pete vows never to tell anyone that he knows that Clark is Superboy. And from there on, there are numerous stories where Pete works to hide Superboy's identity from the pesty Lana Lang, and also some criminals. Yeah, so, yes, Pete became a, a secret weapon of Superboy, unbeknownst to Superboy. Interesting. So, and then yeah. and then when they redid the booted, rebooted universe, he eventually, what, becomes vice president, right? Is that what the Yes, he becomes, was? yes, in the, <laughs> under, under President Luther. And for a short time, when Luther is finally kicked out of office, when Superman, Batman, and Lois get the goods on him, uh, Pete is president for a very short time. He's like a character who comes in and out, though, right, of continuity? Like yes, he's kind of like Inspector Henderson, but more he's he's in more Superboy stories in the Silver and Bronze Age uh, than Inspector Henderson was, who was created for the, the Adventures of Superman TV show. But uh, you know, uh, Pete plays a big role in the first what two seasons of Smallville, and then he's written out of the story, if I understand. Correctly. Yeah, eventually he just disappears. From- yeah from uh, Smallville. I don't, I don't remember how I'm actually, I actually, uh, each week now, um, Michael Rosenbaum and Tom Welling do a super Smallville rewatch. So I listen to that podcast. Yeah. I got to get around to listening to that. Yeah. And they go episode by episode. And mm-hmm. so, uh, cause neither one of them really remember that <laughs> shooting the show. So it's, it's, it's funny. Yeah, I've like, heard them say that, which is pretty incredible. I mean, uh, but I guess when you're an actor and you play multiple parts and you know, it's, uh, I guess it can all run together. Yeah. So I know they've alluded to, yeah, at some point, you know, he, he was written out or didn't have enough to do or they didn't know what to mm-hmm. do with the Pete character. <laughs> well, if I remember correctly, um, Pete discovers that Clark is Superboy or, or Super, but it, it's uh, Clark, you know, or Clark 
Oh, no, I think Clark actually um, uh, stops him from driving off in his pickup. I yes. So. Yeah, right? Yes, yes. They, they recently reviewed that, ep- that episode. Okay. It was yeah. Lana who learned, no, actually, it was Chloe who learned that Clark was Superboy, but he didn't know that in, in Smallville. I keep calling yeah. him Superboy, even though he wasn't called that in the show. So they kind of took that that concept and spread it over two characters, Pete and Chloe, about Clark's, uh, you know, secret that he was trying to keep from everybody. Um, I mean, not that this is a Smallville uh, podcast, um, though an episode on that might be interesting. But oh, yeah, what, did, since we're talking about this age of Superman, Smallville seemed to incorporate a lot of that stuff into into their stories. Oh, very much so, especially the Kryptonite. I mean, they went, you know, above and beyond the Call of Duty with their... They took seven seven brands of kryptonite, and I think it made it about 11 by the time they were done. They had silver and black kryptonite. I don't even know what the hell they did. You know, uh, but uh, yeah, they, they, they mined a lot of things from the uh, silver and bronze age, uh, Smallville did. And uh, I think you can't, I don't think you can tell a complete Superman story without, even, even the current low, Superman and Lois on, uh, on the uh, CW has uh, taken uh, uh, aspects and story beats from, from silver and bronze age Superman comic books. Yes. Well, that actually brings up another question, which I, so what does blue kryptonite do? It killed, it killed Bizarro, but what does it do to Superman? Nothing. No, it's the, it's the opposite of uh, green kryptonite. So oh, okay. blue kryptonite, yeah, there's a, we, we have green kryptonite. We know what that does. We have red kryptonite, which affects a kryptonian in, in all kinds of different manners for between 24 and 48 hours. And the same piece of red kryptonite cannot affect that kryptonian the same way, or even again, I think. I'm not sure about that. Then there's gold kryptonite, which obviously comes into play at the end of this story, right? Yep. yep. Uh, and that can wipe a Kryptonian's powers permanently. There's no coming back from that. Blue, which affects Bizarro's, and the infamous white kryptonite. Do you know what that does? No, I do not know what that does. That kills plant life. Oh. And in the, at the end of the 60s, DC did a five-part story where Superman contracts Virus X which made it into an episode of Lois and Clark, but that wasn't called Virus X, but it was a virus from Krypton. And Virus X is obviously a virus from Krypton would now come to Earth and be imbued by the solar rays of the sun to be a super virus, right? It wouldn't affect a human being, like Kryptonite doesn't, but it would affect Superman. And it's a five-part story they did. And how Superman eventually decides to send himself uh, on, uh, into deep space towards the greatest star in the system in the galaxy as his funeral pyre. And on his way, the Bizarros are giving him a send-off and they're throwing rocks at his, 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 um, his spaceship coffin. And I, even as a young reader back then, I noticed some of those rocks were blue. And I think it was the third chapter in five, in five uh, chapters. And I said to myself, I know how this story's going to end. They were white. They were white. They were white chunks of rock. Those are, that's white kryptonite. And a virus is basically, a, you know, a plant form. So uh, it's going to, that's what, and that's exactly what cured Superman. By the time he reaches that, that sun, he's cured of his kryptonian uh, virus, virus X. So, wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I did not know that. That's the, yes. uh, I guess that's the kryptonite the swamp thing's going to stay away from. Yeah. Oh, wow. Did they ever employ that? Oh, it's amazing. Alan Moore. Well, again, it's, it can only affect a kryptonian. So, Okay. I don't think he would have, you know, he is obviously earth-based in, in more sense of the word than, than human beings when you think about it. So I guess it wouldn't affect him. 
Yeah. All right. Wow. Okay. So that, that, those answers, those questions. And then obviously at the end of the story, we get the return of Mr. Mixelplex. If that's how you say his name, I probably screwed that up. That's good enough. (laughs) Yes. And we find out that he, he, he was the, the, uh, behind all this, uh, he made Bizarro go crazy. He turned prankster and toyman into, into, into murderers. And this was all a plot of his, you know, and he was always, you know, and he, and he said, how, how stupid could you could you be to think that you know a fifth dimensional being would have that stupid um, caricature look that I that I shown you for so many years and we see his true form, and ultimately I guess this is Alan Moore's reasoning uh, that you know a magical being because that's you know Superman is completely uh, you know vulnerable to magic would be would be the would be his greatest adversary more so than Luther and Brainiac, and um, it works in this story it sure as hell works. And then he get and they send it off with using the Phantom Zone projector, mm-hmm. which was that the projector that Superman is holding the statuette that the Legion gave him in the in the first part. Yeah, and then yeah. he, um, then and then he and he, and he of course he he, um, he goes against this code right uh, because by doing that he um, as he's going into the Phantom Zone and he's trying to ret- he says his name backwards so he's trying to return to the fifth dimension he literally gets split in half. And Superman feels that he's killed a being, a sentient being, and that goes against his code, and he has to uh, do the only thing he can do, and that is erase his superpowers so he can never do it again. Uh, That's the Superman that did not see Man of Steel. (laughs) No, 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 no. I don't want to get started on that, but I still say there was a way. Just pick up General Zod and fly him through the roof of of the train station, and um, that's it. He didn't have to snap his neck. I'm sorry. the post-crisis Superman in the comics killed once, right? Or no, never. Uh, John Burns Superman did kill General Zod and two of his two of his uh, cronies at the very end of, of uh, Burns' run. Uh, they had destroyed a uh, another Earth, uh, another dimension where the only superhero that was left was Lex Luthor. And for a while, it was it, we we thought, well, they're quite they're quite, they're not really human; they're proto-human. But I think since then it was, or after the story was released, uh, it was stated, no, they were they were a form of human life in another dimension, another world. So Superman did kill, but they thre- they had destroyed their world, and the only being left was Lex Luthor. And they said, well, now we're going to come to your planet and do the same thing. Mm. And Superman said, oh no, you're not. No, you're not. You're not gonna, you're not coming to my world and doing this. There's too many people there I love, and I protect that planet with my life. So he. He does, he does, uh, and of course, if you read, I don't know if you read that story, but that leads to a crisis of consciousness since Superman he first gives him a split personality and then sends him off on that space quest. You know? No, I never read that. Yeah, that those, those, you should read, yeah, um, the stories that follow, Burn Leaves after that, and then uh, Jurgens and Ordway take over in full, and the story just keeps getting, just almost gets, it gets better. You know, I'll have to see if stuff. they have that on Hoopla because they, they collected the Man of Steel's volumes, I think, one through four. So yeah, I own those there. volumes. They're beautiful books. Okay, so maybe that's, is that story in there in the volumes? Yeah, the last story in that in that volume is a, um, I believe is a um, uh, an annual written by John Byrne. I don't, is, it, is it the, uh, it might be the uh, Titano story or, or it's the, um, or it's the, or it's the, um, uh, Kirby um, Hidden Land story. Yeah, it might be that one also. So, but yeah, it's the last story is an annual written by John Byrne, and then boom, he's gone. 
because he had a big okay. fallout with DC Comics. All right, I'll have, to, I'll have to take a look at those and eventually read them on Hoopla. I mean, you know, the reasons you just gave why he killed Zod in the, the post-crisis world is sort of the same reasons in uh, Superman 2. He, he basically killed him in Superman 2 also, but, you know. Yeah, I've always thought that, right? I mean, he takes away the superpowers and uh, they, they literally fall into the snow. And then if you ever see the TV version of Superman 2, he picks up Lois after he turns Luther over to the Alaska, you know, ski patrol or something. <laughs> I don't know what that is. But uh, then he, he alights on a, uh, an iceberg about a mile away from the fortress and then looks at it, you know, and projects his heat vision and blows the, blows the thing to kingdom come. And they're still in there. Uh, as as normal uh, humans, they don't have superpowers anymore. So yes, he did kill the three super criminals, in the, at mean, least in the TV version. I mean, it seems like you know, from you know, we're not going to get into it, but Man of Steel, Superman two, and in the comics, he's he's only killing General Zod. <laughs> yeah, he's got a thing for General Zod. Yeah, well, I mean, Zod is a terrorist, and you know, as uh, on uh, as he was portrayed in, in Man of Steel, and even in uh, in Superman the movie, he tried to try to. Uh, uh, foment an insurrection, right? That's why Jarrell is uh, has him in front of the council, and they're, they're banished to the Phantom Zone. But see, Jarrell, you know, would not take a life. He would banish them to the Phantom Zone. Superman, even with his code, he can be pushed. We have seen them in not too many times, but in certain stories where you can push Superman to do what you know, I guess, needs to be done in that situation. You know. Yeah, I mean, but like, I guess the point is like, it's not like he's, he didn't kill a bunch of people. He's actually only just killed the same guy multiple times throughout yeah, different, exactly. different properties. <laughs> yeah, throughout different iterations and different properties. Yeah, General Zod. But we get a happy ending. I mean, Superman like gives up his powers and then, but we, we learn that, uh, that he gets to have his life with Lois. Yeah, as Mr. Elliot, right? As Mr. Elliot. <laughs> and what the last scene is the baby crushing a uh, piece of coal into a diamond. Yes, which I was going to say, I guess the um, the gold kryptonite doesn't extend to the genetics. like a, Apparently a, not. Yeah, I, when I read that story, I thought, well, wait a minute. Now, if Superman is now depowered, I mean, why why could he, how could he possibly have a superpowered child? But apparently, as you said, it doesn't extend down to the molecular level. Apparently, gold kryptonite, like this is just me, you know, spitballing here. Apparently, gold kryptonite, uh, maybe erect some type of aura around a Kryptonian that keeps him from him, him or her from absorbing uh, yellow uh, radiation, but it's still residue in that body that he can pass on uh, to his to his um, offspring. I don't know. No, it, <laughs> we don't need nice. that. Explained. Like, you, know, you get a yeah. you get a proper send off to the Man of Steel. Like, yes, he gets you to do. Have, he gets to have his retirement. He gets to finally have a life. I guess he he deserves after that that run. Yeah, and I, I think it's a perfect ending to almost 50 years of continuity of, you know, Golden Age, Silver Age, Bronze Age, Superman. And and I would argue that, I you know, most people say the, the, the DC Silver Age ends with the crisis. Well, this comes out after the crisis, so I'm, I'm saying that this is this is the final Silver Age story. Uh, I've always I've always uh, um, adhered to the, uh, the the theory or the fact that Silver Age Superman, which appeared around the mid-50s, right after Showcase number four, the first Barry Allen um, uh, Flash, which I think I called Brave and the Bold number four in a previous episode, so I apologize. Uh, you know, they say, oh, the Silver Age ends in, in 1970. Well, maybe it does for Marvel because that's when, you know, they start printing Conan. But that Superman from the mid-50s is the same Superman uh, that, that you see in this story. 
you know, the, the character develops, his relationships develop, different things happen, new characters are added, some characters are subtracted. He becomes a TV reporter in the 70s and goes back to being a, a, a beat reporter. But it's still the same character. So this is the fitting end to that, you know, to that wonderful, wonderful character and, and all his incredible adventures. No, it's, it's, it's excellent. Like I said, it's, it's, it's a two-parter story, and I had not read, like, really any of the run, and it's very accessible for anyone just jumping in, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, you only have to have a cursory knowledge of Superman, and I think if you, you know, again, if you're born in this country, <laughs> if you, hell, if you're born on this planet, you have a cursory knowledge of Superman, and uh, you can read these two stories, and and they're 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 amazing. They're they're impactful. They're, there's there's high stakes. There's action. There's drama. There's pathos. There's there's so much going on here. So beautifully rendered by you know master master artists and 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 by you know one of the greatest wordsmiths that the medium of has, has ever seen. Um, I had one. I, I want to ask you if you had any misgivings because I have a couple of mis one or two nitpicky misgivings about misgivings about this story. Did you have any? I mean, no. I mean, I, I didn't feel like I was in a position. I figured anything I didn't understand or might misgive is because of my ignorance of you know, the history that Alan Moore is, is pulling from. I or guess or, me, or me, me critiquing it from the error in which I'm reading it. And it, it you know, being yeah. not from, from the time in which it is intended to represent. So um, for me, I just read it like I, I took it as it was presented. Okay, and I think that's the best way to take it. Uh, any, any story, you have to take any story that's written on its own merits, and you know, um, if there's continuity behind it, and you don't think that it's it's um, given its proper due, well, then just you know, read the story, and then and, and then try to fit into the continuity yourself, which apparently was was a big thing that DC employed back in the '60s and '70s, especially on their on their on their letter pages. Hey guys, you know, so and so wanted to tell this story. It's up to you to fit into the continuity. <laughs> But you know the, the Phantom Zone criminals. We only see them once on the projector, and they. I guess if the Phantom Zone criminals had escaped the Phantom Zone in this story, they could have overpowered the uh, Luther Brainiac um, hybrid, and possibly even uh, you know uh, given uh, Mixelplick, uh, you know a, a, a better run for his money. So I guess that you know that was probably wise to keep him there. But. I thought they, they deserved a little more than just one half panel. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. 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 So, but that's, you know, that's nitpicking. Now here's, here's my next question to you. After reading this, this story, that's a, you know, a love letter to Silver Age Superman, Bronze Age Superman. Do you want to read more Superman stories from that period? Yeah. I'd be interested in going back and reading, reading those stories. Sure. If they're, I think some of them are collected on Hoopla. So I, I'm definitely interested in going back and reading from that time. I would recommend Kryptonite Nevermore. Oh, I've read that one. I read that you one. You have read that. Okay. Yes, yes, I read that one. Yeah. Danny O'Neill, beautiful artwork by uh, Swan and Anderson. Classic cover. Classic cover. Neil Adams, the Kryptonite Change Breaking. That, by the way, is the first time that Murphy Anderson inks uh, Swan's pencils uh, on the inside. He had been inking covers for a year, more than a year, on Superman Family Books. But Julie Schwartz takes over then uh, at that point. He becomes a new editor because the sales are down and they give when sales are down, you give the book to Julie and he brings in Danny O'Neill and he gives Kurt Swan the best inker that ever touched Kurt Swan's pencils for the interior. And you get a great story. Fantastic story. So yeah, uh, yeah. having read this, I want, I'm, I know I'm going to go back and 
just pull out random copies of silver and bronze age Superman stories and reread them again. I mean, it's a fun, it's a fun time in comics. I guess, you know, as you and you and Richie have said in your, in your other, you know, um, episodes, like it's, it's a, it's like anything, what was it? Anything, well, anything could happen, I guess. Anything has happened in, in those stories. I mean, you've heard I, me I say this before. It's check your brain at the door, right? Right. And, and, and again, don't get too caught up in the continuity. Just get caught up in the story. And, and, um, more, nine times out of 10, and it happened in the story with the, with the statuette that gave Superman the clue on how to defeat Mixoplick. Nine times out of 10 in the Superman story from this era, it's not Super Brawn that solves the problem. It's his super brain. Yes. You know? yes. And that's what I love about the character. He doesn't punch his way through to a victory. He, he's a thinking man superhero. You know, if I can use a sports metaphor, Superman is, is the baseball of comic books and, and, and uh, Batman, I guess, is the, uh, the NFL. <laughs> Although Batman thinks too, but he's, you know, he, he, he can and will use his fists and break bones. He will. He will when, it, when he has to. Or when he has to, yeah. Well, so. that actually brings up another, th- there is one other question I had from it. I didn't realize there was an anti-Legion of Superheroes, those three other. Oh, the Legion of Supervillains, yes. The, uh, the adult versions of, um, of uh, Lightning Lad, Saturn Girl, and um, Cosmic Boy. Lightning Lord, Saturn Queen, and Cosmic King, I believe, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, um, Lightning Lord is the older brother of Goth and, oh, what's his sister's name? Light Lass, who then becomes Lightning, Lightning Lass. Rans, their last name, family name is Rans. I believe he's a sibling of those two Legionnaires. I'm not sure. Again, I should have done my research more. Uh, I'm sure some of our listeners no, 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 you're good. Will, will correct me or will let us know. But um, yeah, they, the Legion of Super Villains, adults, appeared. I should have pulled that comic book. I forgot to pull that book. They appeared They appeared numerous times in, in the Silver Age in Superman comics and in Legionnaire, Legion of Superhero stories. Yes, they were, they were around for a while. Yeah, I, did, I had and, not, did not know there was a Legion of Super villain so that was oh, yeah. that was new for me also reading this book yeah there's a brotherhood of evil mutants and a brotherhood of you know the brotherhood brotherhood of, brotherhood of evil uh you know and the uh, doom patrol then why would they not be a legion of super villains which i guess can we say that's the progenitor to the legion of doom hmm, maybe i guess so probably yeah, right right yeah yeah you know, so yeah so there's a lot of things that you know people scoff at these stories and oh this is silly and you know the, the there's no one. There's no nuance to the dialogue or the characterization. That's not true. Maybe true about the, the the dialogue, but it's not true about the characterization. The characters are very well delineated and they act accordingly in these stories, especially Superman. And um, there are there are many Superman stories throughout this this period of the '50s, '60s, and early '70s where there are heart wrenching stories where you see Superman struggling with with many different uh, personal problems. But not the way it's done today, where it would take eight or nine issues. <laughs> they could do it in one story. They could do it in twelve pages. Yeah, no so, decompressed storytelling. Yeah, no, it was all there, a, a one and done, so to speak. We got another story to tell. We don't need to decompress it. Yeah, exactly. And and, and remember, you were putting out so many at the height of the nineteen sixties. Uh, there were at least seven Superman-related books: Superman, Action Comics, Superboy, Adventures of Superboy. Starring Legion of Superheroes, Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and he also shared World's Finest with Batman, and he was a member of the Justice League of America. 
Wow. <laughs> it's all over the place. It was all over the place. Literally all over the place. So, you know, uh, you had to, you know, you, and for a while there were numerous editors. Not everybody was editing this. There was not one editor for all the books. And of course, Mort Weisinger takes over and then Murray Boltonoff takes over some of the books. And then eventually everything gets seeded over to, uh, that survives, uh, gets seeded over to uh, Julie Schwartz in the 70s. Yeah. Great, so, great stuff. Yeah, a lot, a lot of history behind this. I'm so glad you gave me a chance to talk about this. Oh, no, it's a great book. And then uh, just, you know, maybe we could dive into this really briefly. Um, you know, obviously, we, we both read the deluxe edition. So you get two extra stories in the deluxe edition. Mm-hmm. You get a DC showcase with Alan Moore writing his flagship character, which is Swamp Thing, meaning Superman. I did not reread that story. Did you? I did reread that story. Tell me about it. It's been years since I read it. Um, basically they, there's a Clark is at a planetarium and they've recently discovered this meteor and the meteor has a fungus on it and the fungus infects and kills Kryptonians. Is it virus X? It's not, he doesn't say virus X. I don't recall, recall that, but he, he knows it from Kryptonian heritage that Mm -hmm. this fungus is going, he's been exposed to it. He's got the early signs of it, and it kind of makes him crazy. And so he's driving, he's driving basically out into the world to die. I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm and, looking at it right now. It's gorgeous, and, beautiful, beautiful artwork. And he passes out, and uh, in the in the swamp, and Swamp Thing comes along, and Swamp in Swamp Thing, and he's he's fighting Swamp Thing because he thinks Swamp Thing's an enemy, and Swamp Thing's like, "I'm your friend." And eventually, you know, from the uh, the virus, the fever, he passes out, and Swamp Thing sort of communes with the fungus and ends up on Krypton and is like, what's going on? Like he's, he, and he's immediately like thrown off cause he's in Krypton. And then he um, communes, I guess, with the plant life fungus in Clark's body and is able to subside the infection. And, uh, and then he just leaves, leaves Clark to, to wake up. And he, he's like, I've been healed. I've been healed. <laughs> and and yeah. the swamp thing is like, I've helped you, my friend. And it was like, a, just a really like, um, say cute because it's Alan Moore writing it, but. It's it's just like a really like chance meeting of the two the two characters outside outside of their normal books and, and showcase. So, but you know I think there's like um, when Alan Moore writes Superman at least when he writes it in his Swamp Thing run um, or writes Superman outside of the Man of Tomorrow, Superman is not just like Superman. Superman is like super everything because there's a few lines where Clark Clark could like see with his kryptonite vision the intricacies of the molecule of the fungus mm-hmm. with his like geometric shapes and stuff so he's like he's not just like superman's powers he's like super brain super intelligence yeah. like uh, you know like alan moore writes that that's superman like the uberman uberman everything yeah when you read the four stories in this book you would i know i i wish that alan moore had written more superman stories because uh he takes superman's powers to another level but at the same time he never forgets the humanity of that that the character, you know, is based on. And that's what, he, you know, what's, what's great about his, uh, his uh, writing of Superman. And this book is uh, penciled by Rick Feach and inked by Al Williamson. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yes. And the, it's beautiful. And then the other book, of course, and Joe, you've spoken about this many times, yes. is, you know, was it For the Man Who Has Everything? Is that the name of the... Yes. By Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, my, my single favorite Superman story of all time, made into a fantastic 23-minute JLI or JLU episode, animated episode, uh, you know, with the Black Mercy flower, giving you your heart's desire, but, you know, be careful what you wish for, you might get it. And uh, it's just a fantastic story. 
it's got Mongol in it. It's got a great, I mean, Paul Wonderman. <laughs> oh God, she gets a beat no, down. Just, and, and I love Jason Todd's first time at the fortress. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, right. He's like gawking and like, you can't believe it. You know, and uh, she's bringing him a, um, uh, oh, well, Batman's bringing a flower, right? Some type He's of bringing um, a flower, yes. Yeah. Which they changed to cold, hot cash in the animated adventure, which I thought Much was, better line, though. Yeah, Much exactly. Better. Cold, <laughs> hot cash. <laughs> well, he knows the guy's a reporter and he can't make that much money unless he's Lois Lane and has a penthouse apartment. But I mean, so, yeah. I always wonder after that line, like, how much did he give him? Did he give him, like, you know, 10,000, 20, 50? Like, how much, how much money did he oh, give him? Oh, I, I got to think it's at least seven figures, maybe maybe six. He might have he might just, you know, you know might have given him about 100, 100 grand. Here, clock. This is a, twice your yearly salary. Uh, you know, go buy a Porsche. <laughs> Something like that. And does he give that to him every year? Like, is it, you know? Yeah, that's a good – oh, that's a good point. Yeah. And um, – well, Clark has to pay taxes, but not Superman. So would Superman declare that? Interesting. Oh. Superman's like going to uh, Walter White. How do you launder this? I can't. Uh, oh, yeah. Have we found a, uh, you know, a floor in Superman's character? Yeah. If Bruce is giving him money all these years, is Superman declaring it? Uh, well, <laughs> it's I would way think, above. It's way beyond the gift tax. It's way beyond well, you know what Superman would do with this money? He'd give it to charity, of course. Yeah. Yeah, which yeah. is it's just a very it's a great line, but it makes you wonder. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does, and you know that's why I wish Alan Moore had written more stories. But that's a great story. It's a beautiful, beautifully rendered. Um, some of the thing uh, there's a lot of the, the whole subplot on Krypton doesn't make it into the uh, the animated cartoon no. because obviously it wouldn't fit. But uh, I would love to see this done as a full length um, DC animated film someday. Yeah, they could, they could definitely squeeze like an hour and ten out of this uh, story. Oh, sure. They, you know. Hey, they got Justice League, the new frontier, at 85 minutes. You can do that. You can do that with this story, too. So Now, I have happen. to ask, since like, I, I, know, I know of Mongol, obviously, from uh, the infamous Kyle Rayner introduction and, uh, mm-hmm. and Worlds at War and all that stuff. But like, was this, this is not the first appearance of Mongol, right? Uh, no, it's not. I believe not. I, I, I'm, wow, it's the first appearance of Mongol. See, once again, Joe did not do his proper research. I should have anticipated. I mean, it seems question. like it's the first time Batman or Wonder Woman have met Mongol. I think so, yeah. Yeah. If Chris well, was here right now, he'd be typing to find out. <laughs> the first well, appearance. I mean, when you, I mean, just to go what you were saying before, we were talking about like he's only killed Zod. He was, he looked like he was ready to kill Mongol on those two. Because like oh, when, yeah. he, well, when he snaps we... out of it and he like realizes what he's done to him and what he's taken from him. What he he's taken like, from him, yeah. He, um, he seemed pretty enraged. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, again, uh, more can, you know, can show you a side of Superman that's rarely seen, but he always pulls back. He'll, he'll pull it back to, you know, because he'll, he'll realize I can't become my enemies. You know, I have to um, have to be true to myself. But you can't. Well, I mean, it's actually like, it's cute. It's uh, cute, I guess, or confi- like Jason Todd is the hero of the, of the, in the end of the story. Yeah. He, he's the. He's the one who takes the plant off of Batman and drops it on on Mongol as Superman's like beating the pummel. That's right. I'm trying to find out the first appearance of. Uh, oh, let's see here. Uh, um, I think I'm out of uh, oh, DC Comics presents number twenty seven. Okay, all right. Created yep. by okay. Len Wein mm-hmm. um, okay, and Jim Starlin. Uh, so you know, we see a pattern forming with Jim Starlin, don't we, James? Yes. Uh, about cosmic characters, right? Yes, yes, Mongol so, uh, is easily a, a, a sibling of Thanos. You know, a, a reinterpretation of uh, Captain Marvel and and uh, uh, Adam Warlock and then Thanos and the Destroyer and and uh, Mongol, yeah. 
Yeah. So it's an, yes. you know, the only big one he hasn't touched uh, was created by Jack Kirby. That's Darkseid. But, uh, yeah. Which arguably Thanos is, is derivative of, of Darkseid, right? I yeah, Darkseid. We talked about this in our bad guy episode, but mm-hmm. I think, think he dark, it was Darkseid then Thanos, right? Yes, Darkseid, Thanos, and Mongol. And that, yeah. I believe in that order. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, yes. Which, which Mongol is sort of like a a reinterpretation of the two of those people, which is, you know. Yeah, he's, uh, Mongol's more of a, the ultimate warrior. He's not a god like uh, those other two, like Darkseid and, and, and Thanos. And I think either Darkseid or Thanos would mop the floor at Mongol. But uh, he's, you know, as a brawler, as a warrior, he's, a, he's a, a worthy adversary for Superman and Wonder Woman, as we saw. Yeah, ironically, yeah. I think uh, Mongol is more in line with what the MCU Thanos ended up being. <laughs> No, that's a good point. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, because hmm. he's not portrayed as a as a he's a titan, but he's not portrayed as a god per se in the MCU. Thanos. That's um, right. Yeah. Do, do, do they? You know, do they even talk about his? Um, I just read Captain Marvel number twenty eight last night, and it gives you the origin of Captain Marvel becoming cosmic, right? And yes. it also gives you the origin of um, of uh, Titan and the gods that wound up on Titan that that you know, uh, birth of uh, Thanos, the mad God. It's a great book. Uh, if that book, James is on the, uh, on Hoopla, um, the run from Captain Marvel, volume one, 30, 25 to 33 is a spectacular run. And this all leads into the whole, you know, mega storyline, obviously. I uh, think I did read that. Cause they, I think it was included either in Avengers versus Thanos, or maybe it was concluded as an additional story in the Adam Warlock saga. I feel like I read that story somewhere. Yeah. See, one of those you, you tune in for a, a Superman, a Superman centric podcast and you get some Marvel, uh, yeah. uh, you know, Marvel uh, tidbits too. Why not? It's, we love comics. That's what we're here for. It's all about the stuff we love. And, you know, a well, lot of, it's, I, I mean, Joe, you said like these these creators, like you know, when they they left one company or went to work with the other company, they one character basically is the is the off is the offspring or the progenitor of the of another character. You yeah, know, it's, it's Mantis becomes the soul. Uh, what is she? Is she? What is she known as in the, in the Marvel universe? Is, is she known as the celestial celestial Madonna? Oh, the celestial goddess, right? Yeah, but she becomes well when Engelhart leaves Marvel, he takes that character and he recreates her and uh, and uh, shoehorns her into DC continuity in the Justice League. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, yeah, man. I mean, <laughs> I'll take it one step further, Joe. Like, uh, it's, see, in in the, in the I'm currently reading that Avengers run we spoke off offline, and uh, it's Kang is trying to it's trying to. Uh, Basically, mate with Mantis because she's a celestial goddess. I wonder if that's what the MCU is going to do with Kang and Mantis at some point. Wow, that's cool. That, I never thought of that, James. Yeah, I mean that's a deep cut pull from the uh, the Kang War storyline. Certainly I mean, is. Yeah. Who, who knows of that? But uh, but so you see, folks, you get all everything. We get we went we went we went all the way. We even went into uh, the Man, Man of Steel movie. So you got everything yeah. in this podcast. Did you uh, get? Do you have the book in front of you right now, or the uh, can you call uh, the um... Pull up on your computer the um, action comics, the second part of the story, the cover. Uh, let me see here. I'm actually reading it on a digital platform, uh, so I have to see if I can flip. It, it's Superman leaving the planet, the, the Daily Planet behind. Yes. Is a, all right, now you see all the heroes down there. Do you see the three people in the front? Uh, the three normal civilians standing in front of um, uh, Wonder Woman and uh, off to the side there's Batman. Yes. Do you know who those three people are? No. Okay, that's uh, reading from left to right. Uh, the guy with the the 
the uh, green pants. That's Kurt Swan. <laughs> and then that's Jeanette Kahn in the middle, the one who came to DC and became the publisher and gave the company. I mean, this woman did incredible things for DC Comics. She really, she was a, a, a real pioneer. And of course, the guy holding his hand up, uh, the balding guy with the glasses is Julius Schwartz. Oh. So yeah. So they Easter put eggs them. abound. <laughs> yeah. And, and the cover of the book is recreated from that cover, and that's by um, Brian Bolin. And he uh, he subtracts <laughs> Kurt Swan and, and Jeanette Kahn, but he leaves Julie right there in the middle, waving goodbye to the Man of Steel. <laughs> so yeah. But that's a great cover by Brian Bolin, who was a, a, a cover artist for DC back in the 80s and 90s. And just great, you know, great, great, great artist, Brian Bolin. Yes, Brian Bolin's amazing artist. Uh, you know, this, I'm so glad you picked this, James. I, I was, I, I reread it and I, last night, just before the hockey game, you know, and so I, you know, I read the story and I'm all mellowed out. And then I get into a rangy game and I start screaming and yelling at the TV. <laughs> they won again, but it wasn't easy. But it's like, you know, uh, this stuff just brings me to a nice place, a safe place, a, a happy place. It brings back, obviously it brings back great memories, but the craft that's in this story by Alan Moore and, and Kurt Swan and, and, and Schaffenberger and, and the late George Perez, uh, of course, you know, both Schaffenberger and, and, and Swan are also gone. Uh, but it's, uh, it's remarkable that these men were able to produce these, you know, th these stories for a medium that even at that time in 1986 was still considered a child's medium and basically, you know, a throwaway product, right? An impulse buy at a, at a newsstand or, or a um, checkout counter in the supermarket. And yet they were pouring their hearts into these stories. And yeah, it's, it's beautiful stuff, which, like I said, you know, I don't want to get down this rabbit hole. And, you know, we're not a podcast that, you know, likes to highlight the negative and stuff like that. But it's, uh, it's a shame that Alan Moore, like in interviews, says, like, these are for children, like people shouldn't take stock on this stuff. Um, it's, it's a shame he doesn't appreciate the, the work he's done or you know, it's placed yeah. in pop culture like, like, like we do and a lot of people do. So it's, it's, uh, but you know, we still have his work and his work is beautiful and we just talked, talked an hour about it. So yeah. does he say that about his Swamp Thing run? I don't know if he says about the Swamp Thing run, but he does say like, you know, he makes comments that, you know, he's made comments like, you know, comics are for children and they're, well, I don't know why people are taking such serious stuff. Like he's, he's made comments. I don't want to misquote yeah. him, but he, he's definitely not said, I don't think he, he doesn't have the respect for the work that, you know, you would think he would, um, uh, you know, but again, I, I don't want to go down the negative path, well, but his, just, just to say like, he's done great work. I enjoy it. And, yeah. um, his legion of fans have respect for the work he's done. Let's put yeah. it that way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, uh, if I, if I were ever to meet the man, I would, I would thank him for his work. I don't know if he would choke me <laughs> like he tries to choke Julie Schwartz, but I would still thank him. And I would say, um, you know, um, uh, you know, art is art, and art is in the eye of the, behold, the, uh, eye of the beholder. And, and uh, I, I hold up your art to a very, you know, high standard. I, I think it's some of the best comic books ever written that he's done. Yeah, and just as a tease, Joe, for a future episode when we're going to talk about Swamp Thing, because I was just, I was just, I think recently what came out is they released a 4K edition of the Return of Swamp Thing, which is that movie, um, a terrible movie they made, which it's it's like a B movie. A glorified B movie, but I, I was reading an interview with the the person who produced it and I think directed it, 
or maybe it was just the director anyway, they, they were, they're basically saying that the reason why they made this, this movie is because in, in 1989 or 88, when they were making it, mm-hmm. Alan Moore turned Swamp Thing into the hottest comic book and hottest comic book character of, of the time at that time. Wow. And, and the movie studios wanted to jump on it, which is why they made that movie, a cartoon series, and a toy line of Swamp Thing back then. And wasn't so, there a USA TV four year TV run or something? Yeah, also? a few years later after that. Yeah. So like it's it's it, you know just to go to you know we're gonna do a whole thing on Alan Moore Alan Moore Swamp Thing run at some point. But um, but Alan Moore's writing like he can elevate a character like Swamp Thing to be in like the zeitgeist to the point where they're making cartoons of him. So yeah, no, it, it's I yeah I, I, I'm sorry he has to disconnect with his work now. I don't know what brought that on, and I I can't I will I won't even speculate because I don't know the man and I don't know enough about him. Um, for, but for me, his work speaks to me. And I think that's, for me, that's enough. Yeah. I mean, just to go like to, you know, I, I don't think it's any secret, but, you know, we talked about it recently in other, in other podcasts, you know, I know you have issues with Tom King because Tom King yes. likes to deconstruct superheroes mm-hmm. and he kind of brings them down a path of like uncovering skeletons in their closet where Alan Moore does the same thing, but he doesn't do it. Like I think as deep as, as Tom King does it. Like he does it with more of a respectful you know, Watchmen and a Tom King work. And again, I like some of Tom King's work, but just a comparison is much different, the two of them, in terms yeah. of how Alan Moore handles the material, doing very, doing like, a, I would say, a similar type of device, plot device. So, um, yeah, I, again, I, I would I would thank him for his work too. I mean, you know, I we always have the work, thankfully. It's yeah. not like, he's not like a, a guy who owns the property, you know, and, and can take it away from us. So at least at least the writing's, that he gave us when he was creating this stuff is, is, is there for all time. So, well, I have two copies of both Superman, uh, 423 and action comics, 583. I have the, the, um, paperback graphic novel that combines the two of them. And I have in my hand, the, the hardcover, the Lux edition, you know, which is, which has both the, uh, team up story and the, uh, annual for the matter of everything in the back of the book beside the first two stories. And I, I treasure this book. It's a beautiful book. and I, I love it. And yeah. um, I'm glad, I'm glad we, we tackled this today, James. It was a, uh, it was, this was fun to go down this, um, this uh, path and to, to talk about these two incredible stories. And, you know, think about, you're, you're given this assignment. Okay, you're going to have to wrap up 48 years of continuity to, to uh, not arguably, to the, you know, the greatest fictional character on the planet. You know, and, and Julie Schwartz had all the confidence in the world giving it to Alan Moore, and Alan Moore hit it out of the park. <laughs> so it's, kudos uh, to both of them. Kudos, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Joe, well, thank you for, for indulging me. And, oh, um, yeah. thank you for, for suggesting this and, and letting me ramble on about this. <laughs> and uh, I should tell the audience, as I said, uh, it's on our non-sponsor sponsor, Hoopla. You can get the deluxe version, which I recommend because you get those oh, two yeah. extra stories, but they yes. also have just the, 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 the two issues collected also. Um, both are available on Hoopla, so you can so you can get those right right away. And, and they have some other Golden Age and Silver Age stuff on there too of Superman, so you can dive into some of the stories. Mm-hmm. And they have and they have all of the John Byrne volumes that are currently made of Man of the Man of Steel Run. So mm-hmm. um, this has been fantastic, Joe. Yes, it has been, James. Thank you. So, um, so uh, Joe, you want to take us out? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take us out. Uh, folks, uh, as just James has said, look for these books. Um, you will not regret reading this, these, these, these books by Alan Moore. Uh, hopefully they'll, 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 uh, spur you on to reading more. 
more and more. <laughs> and you can find that run of Swamp Thing, which is, again, some historians claim that's the best run of a com- any comic book ever written. And I, I'm not going to stand in their way and disagree with them. Legendary so run. <laughs> legendary run by a legendary creator and also uh, the legendary Kurt Swan who penciled these um, these stories that we talked about, these first two stories. So um, don't be afraid to, 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 to uh, look into Silver and Bronze Age comic books. You may have heard things about them being too worthy or too corny. Uh, check them out. You know, um, uh, be fair. Don't judge a book by its cover. There you go. And, and have fun when you're doing it. So uh, again, uh, I hope you'll be back for another episode of Joe's Comics Corner. I know we got some interesting things coming up uh, with James and with Keith and with Jack. And we'll be tackling some big, big stories like this and maybe even some smaller things too. And, and, and our, our boy and our friend Richie will be back too. So uh, once again, folks, uh, it's, it's always a pleasure for James and I to, to, to bring these, uh, these podcasts to you and to speak to you about these, these great works of comic book art and to share our, our passion with you. So uh, be well and enjoy. 